The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I'm very excited to welcome this week's guest to the show, Brett Ciancia. He writes the Pick 6 Previews. Pick six previews like college football must read preview magazine. I mean, I, I found this thing three years ago, Brett, and I wish I would have mm-hmm. found it sooner. Um, oh, thank you. Three years ago. Um, it's excellent. The work that you do is phenomenal. The research that goes into this is incredible. It's excellent. So go to pick six previews. It's pick six previews.com. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the praise there in the intro. Yeah. Pick six previews.com. It's a college football season preview book and magazine, just like the ones you see on newsstands, uh, 10 years of digital only this year, the 11th season, we now have a magazine copy, a paper copy, uh, available. So, um, yeah, pick six previews.com. And over those first 10 years graded the most accurate in America, beating all the ones on newsstands, Lindy's Athlon, Phil Steele, um, you know, got the Heisman ballot a couple years ago. So, uh, it's been a great 10-year stretch with Pick 6 Previews, and uh, I'll tell you, this was the craziest of all of them so far, this 2022 book, given the coaching carousel, the transfer portal, mm-hmm. um, just so much. Uh, we're still seeing some effects from 2020 as well, so excited to break it down with you guys. Yeah, the um, yeah, I mean, first of all, like, just congrats on um, – it, it seems yeah, like this you. thing is, is, has really blown up to, to have it in print as well as, as – I'm, I'm sure that was a kind of a cool little moment when you saw it kind of in your hands for the first time. Um, you yeah, also, it was surreal. Yeah, you also do – I mean, you talk to coaches for this thing. So, you know, to be able to do that, like you've got name recognition, people know you, people respect you. This is a thing that a lot of people go to. Um, and so for anybody that doesn't have, like, their copy or their digital copy yet, like, go get it now. I'm telling you, go get it now and read it. Um, it's required reading before the season. So, oh, thanks, Brett, man. I've got you on today. Of course, of course. I've got you on today um, to talk about Nebraska and to preview the Big Ten a little bit. So thank you for coming on, first and foremost. Um, (laughs) I want to open with with Pat Narduzzi because I I just want to say thank you to the Pittsburgh head coach um, up front for – opening a conversation on a very, very real issue that we have in college football today that I don't think enough people talk about. And that is coaches get into a game and something works and they decide, you know what, I'm just going to do this thing that works. Even if it doesn't go with the game plan, even if it's from a departure from what they would traditionally do, they get into a game and they do a thing and realize it works. And then they continue to do that thing. And so I just want to say thank you to Mark Whipple for calling out this horrible trend in college football. If you don't know what I'm talking about, he did a podcast interview recently where he said, Mark Whipple had quote, no desire to run the ball, called him stubborn, pointed out that Wake Forest was 118th in run defense and Pitt 
threw the ball every down. Mind you, Pitt won that game 45 to 21. Mark Whipple is now the offensive coordinator at Nebraska. So, Brett, my first question for you, why would Nebraska hire a coordinator that doesn't know what he's doing? <laughs> well, um, well, it's interesting with that. I mean, he did, uh, he did turn around Pittsburgh's offense into you know, one that was stuck in the mud uh, into a, a passing juggernaut last year. He put Kenny Pickett in New York City, which I don't think anyone could have forecasted after seeing his first four seasons as a starter. The fifth one was a breakthrough. Um, so yeah, when I saw that hire come across by Nebraska, I was kind of puzzled to be honest, because with Scott Frost and his staff and his, uh, you know, his offensive scheme and personality, it's very run first. I mean, it's power run, it's option. Uh, you guys see it a lot of horizontal passing zone reads. And then with Whipple, uh, not just at Pittsburgh, but before that, when he was the head man at UMass, they were so pass heavy, one of the most pass heavy in the country. So, um, I'm really curious to see this mesh of two, uh, you know, offensive schemes and strategies. I don't know really what to expect. They played it really vanilla in the spring game. I try and watch every spring game I can, and that one didn't really reveal much. I think we saw Thompson throw maybe three passes. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see. It, it shocked me just to see that, um, you know, the two contrasting styles. But, um, it, yeah, definitely interesting. One thing that, that stuck out to me, um, you know, not to, like, belabor Narduzzi's quote, but one thing that stuck out to me was – it sort of carried with it this um, this message that Narduzzi had absolutely zero sway in what the offense did and that it was completely Mark Whipple's show to run. That's not going to be the case at Nebraska. Scott Frost is an offensive coach. How do you, how, how do you see this marriage working? Do, I mean, because coordinators that have been with Frost at Nebraska in the past, they've sort of been minimized in a way, or maybe pushed to the side in a way, um, as Frost, you know, he said time and time again, that he cares so much about trying to get this thing right. And, you know, when you're an offensive guy and when the offense is your baby, and when you care that much, you're going to micromanage a little bit. How do you see this, this relationship between Frost and Whipple working? Is that something that, that, you know, one of the storylines that you're looking forward to this season? Yeah, absolutely. That's probably the biggest question I have uh, with Nebraska. I mean, that and the offensive lines development, but is really just how is this offense going to mesh? Because um, it can really go one of two ways. Uh, either the, the Frost you know, uh, scheme takes over and Whipple was added as kind of just an auxiliary piece to, to you know, improve the pass game and maybe cut down on turnovers. That'd be, that'd be one solution. Um, and I think that Whipple would have known that taking over, like when he accepted the job, he would have known that was his role. Or number two is that uh, given the contract talks and the salary reduction and kind of the – Kind of the red flag that, hey, you have one last go around here um, or maybe one or two tops years until it improves. Uh, kind of a last ditch effort to just overhaul the offense and, and bring in someone with such a different personality offensive scheme wise um, that maybe you'll get a different result. So, I mean, I, your guess is as good as mine right now. I mean, I've read the practice notes. I watched the spring game and didn't reveal much. It's one of those deals you're, we're going to find out in August uh, in Ireland when they kick it off. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a matter of which side absorbs more of the other, other one's playbook and scheme. But um, like I said in the book, there's enough talent here that either way it would work. Um, the key is that offensive line. Is it, is it finally ready to break through and be an upper tier or even above average line in the, in the conference? It's got to happen um, for this team to make a next step. Do you think it will? I think it will. I think it will. I mean, when you look at uh, the, the four-star billings that a lot of these guys have, 
Um, there is some returning production there. I know you lose Cam Jurgens, uh, NFL pick there at center, but um, there's enough to like. And, um, you know, really, I put this in the book too. Uh, one of the things I track is yardage per play. I mean, that's, that's a good stat itself, but then yardage per play compared to what the opponent averages. Uh, you know, so kind of put it into context against who you're playing. And Nebraska's offense was sixth in the country. I mean, this sounds crazy, I'm sure, to Husker fans. Yeah, the sixth best offense in America. But note that, that that stat looks at yardage, not converting it to points. And that's really the key here is Nebraska's been so poor at red zone, at the money downs, third and fourth down, um, and turnovers. So on a per play yardage, this offense was great last year. It's just a matter of they didn't convert it to any points, and, um, and that, that cost them in so many one-score games. If you convert one or two more drives into points at each of those games, I mean, you're talking about a nine-win team. So uh, got to be frustrating for Husker fans knowing that statistically it was, it was a solid team. It's just those key money downs and money spots they, they, they were terrible at. So um, it's hard to evaluate. But, uh, no, I think, they're, I think they'll be a solid offense next year. A lot of skill, talent, and the line I think will at least take a step forward. That yardage – number is uh, it's it's perfect for this team it's the perfect illustrator for this team and it doesn't surprise me one bit that that they ranked that highly um i mean that is like when frost has you know made people roll their eyes into the back of their head by saying over and over and over again that we're close we're close i mean that right there that's proof of concept for him that's proof that you know what they're doing is it is is having an impact on the field. Their issue is just finishing. Their issue, you know, mm-hmm. finishing blocks on the offensive line, finishing drives when they get into scoring position. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Um, It's it's one of those things where they, you know, you lay out in the book in the Nebraska section all of the different ways that they lost Oklahoma, Michigan State, Iowa, the, the close games that they lost last year it was painful <laughs> to kind of go through that as somebody that, um, you know, had to, had to live it like every week. Um, it was painful to have, there was like old wounds reopening and I was not prepared for that kind of emotion for, for myself. <laughs> um, so I can only imagine how Nebraska fans felt or will feel reading that. Um, but it's one of those things where like they are close and, you know, they do have to replace some stuff on defense in the offensive line, I think in, in the the uh, position unit rankings, you've got the offensive line 11th. So growth potential for the offensive line there. Um, but it's one of those things where like being close is not going to work anymore. This is a make or break year for Scott Frost. They got to make a bowl game. Maybe they have to win more than just six games to scrape their way into a bowl game. So I, I want to ask you, 
first and then dive down into, you know, some more like position detail specific stuff. Do you think they make a bowl game? Do you think Scott saves his job? Uh, yes. And yes to both. And, um, well, before we talk 2022, I, I, I got to admit, it was, must've been painful for you to read that list of tough games and close losses. It was tough for me to write it. I mean, it was just, it felt like I was putting a whole generation's worth of bad games into one season. I mean, and you know, I watch it each week too, because, um, I cover all 66 power five teams. I have four TVs going every Saturday for 14 hours. And, you know, I, I try and absorb as much as I can in real time. And, uh, it just seemed like every week you're looking over at the screen, you're watching Nebraska move the ball. And you're thinking, okay, they're gonna they're gonna get this W, and then you look away for five minutes, and it just like goes to you know it falls apart. So um, Nebraska 0 and 14 last year on late game drives where they could have tied it or won the game. I mean that's just so statistically incredible. Um, I even quoted you in in the, in the Nebraska page talking about point differential, where uh, this team was historic in that they had a positive you know a plus scoring margin even though they were three and nine, the only Big Ten team ever to do that. So. Um, I mean, it's got to be frustrating for Nebraska fans. It'd be one thing if you were getting blown out every week, then you know that, hey, this just isn't working at all. Blow it up and start over. But to see this team compete every week and get so close and in some ways really just flat out lose the game, I mean, give it away. I mean, the Michigan State game was given away with that punt return. Um, the Iowa game with the pump block and then uh, blowing a 21-6 lead. And we can go on and on. I've, I've listed them out. You guys lived it. Um, no need to keep rehashing it. But uh, just a historically statistical season there. Um, but with my game grader formula, I dig in deeper than just the box score and the win-loss record. And, uh, and this shows, I mean, they were 34th out of 66 in Power 5, which is almost dead even 500 right in the middle of the pack. Um, that's, it's really rare for a three win team to make it all the way up there. It shows you they were better than the record. And, um, I think you'll see that start to reverse in 2022. So when we look ahead, I have Nebraska second in the West and that's higher than any other preseason magazine out there. Uh, Nebraska seems like a consensus third or fourth or fifth pick in the division, but I've got them up at second. Uh, a couple reasons why I'd really like the defense. Uh, they bring a lot of key pieces back. Um, Eric Shenander has been a solid coordinator there. That hasn't been the problem for Nebraska. The defense has held their own uh, for the most part, especially last season. Um, at quarterback, I think that you bring in Casey Thompson, the Big 12 passing leader last year. He led the conference in touchdowns. And um, I think you're going to cut down on some of those turnovers. And, you know, with Adrian Martinez, again, you guys all lived it. He's, a, he's such a fighter, such a gamer, um, a, a likable guy, uh, and really flashed high upside throughout his four-year career. But the underlying tone was the, was the turnovers. And, you know, he'd, he'd have a 300 or 400-yard game, but turn it over three times and you lose by three points. So I, mean, I think you're getting a shift to quarterback where, you know, it'll, they'll, they'll take care of the ball more. And um, with those one-score games, that could flip a lot of results. Um, so, yeah, overall, I think Nebraska's ceiling is higher than Iowa's and Minnesota's and Purdue's. Um, a number seven transfer class in the country. They really hit the transfer portal hard bringing in power five starters on defense at certain spots. And, um, you know, obviously Thompson we hit on, but yeah, I think this team finally breaks through, wins the close games and, uh, and takes care of business out there and they climb up to second. They also want one more thing is get a favorable cross division this year where for years, I think ever since they joined, they were stuck with Ohio state as a protected rivalry game, uh, cross division that goes away this year. Finally, they only hit Michigan over there. Meanwhile, the rest of the contenders have to hit two out of three of the top three. So favorable draw. And um, I think they climb up to second this year. Is that is that a, a close second behind Wisconsin, who you have first? Or do you do you see this division as like a there's a there's a clear 
and distant number one, and then there's sort of a, a muddled middle, or, or, or do, you, do you think they're closer? Yeah, that's a great point, a great way of putting it. I, Wisconsin was my pick, uh, and it really didn't take too much thought. It's just a proven product every year, in and out. Um, you know, they bring back, uh, Graham Mertz has to improve a little bit of quarterback, but it's just a proven product. They were the number one. What it really became was the hardest uh, core of teams to pick from second through fifth. I think it might have, out of all the divisions I cover in Power Five, this might have been the hardest four team pick between Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, Purdue. I mean, I could see any of those four reaching second place. I could see any of them falling to fifth place. But, um, you know, when I broke it down, uh, Purdue, they lose a lot of their key stars. They're all Americans, they're all gone. Um, Minnesota, they have to replace a lot of their line. And I think that's what made them special last year and their defensive front seven. And then with Iowa, it's the same story every year. You guys see it where it's an elite defense. We know this. Phil Parker, one of the best in the game. Uh, it's fundamentally sound. It's, it's gritty. All the terms you want to use about it. But the issue is the offense. And that really puts limitations on them as a program. Um, you know, I just I, – I, and it's the same quarterback battle for three straight years. It's Petrus first Padilla again, and they both get their chances, and they can't move the ball. So uh, they also lose a Remington winner in Linderbaum, another interior lineman. So I just – yeah, I think that their offense is a limiting factor over there. Um, and then Nebraska looked to me just with the highest upside. They bring in a top-10 transfer class. They are the top recruiter in the division still over the five-year span. And, uh, I mean, another way to look at it um, – it's like you're playing roulette and you're betting red versus black, right? And you, you do red, it, red hits 20 times in a row. I know it's still 50 50 the next roll, but you just think in your head, it's got to be black. They have to break through. Uh, you know, they, so basically, what I'm getting at is 20 years, in a 20 year span, Nebraska's had the most turnovers in the country. That's usually a stat that evens out over years, but uh, mm -hmm. not, not here in Nebraska, where uh, I think it was Taylor Martinez led the country for two straight years in fumbles. Adrian did it for a year. Uh, it's just it's just the worst turnover look I've ever seen over a 10, 20 year span. So it's just odds, in my opinion, that it's got to flip or at least get neutral for this year. And uh, just think if you had a neutral turnover margin last year, how many of those one score games flipped to one score wins? I mean, it's so that, that's kind of the overall picture. I think they have the higher ceiling of the four. That's a. A, a great way of putting it when you when, when you focus on the turnovers like yeah you have to focus on the quarterback spot and you kind of touched on it a little bit but i did want to ask you like the change agent on offense is that quarterback spot and it's adrian martinez out and it's casey thompson in from texas and you know for someone like yourself who is you know a few degrees removed from nebraska football you're not going to have the like the emotional attachment to Adrian Martinez, like someone like myself would have, where I'm like, I, I see this guy. I talk to this guy face to face. I know this guy. Um, I want to see him be successful. And I sort of like in my brain, I sort of kind of start to explain away the mistakes and the errors and the, the inconsistencies and things like that. Um, as you look at this, I mean, maybe you do the same thing. I don't know. As you look at this quarterback position, do you think Casey Thompson will be a noticeable upgrade at quarterback or is it just a situation where like all you have to do is just protect the ball, man. And then you were going to see changes. Yeah. So a couple of things on Adrian, uh, you know, I really enjoyed watching him. I'm, I really love uh, running quarterbacks. That's what actually way back. That's what kind of got me into college football. Just that it was different from the pros. You had these QBs running all over the field, running option. I mean, uh, that's what it still makes college football special to me. So I, I love running quarterbacks 
Uh, he was one of the best for a couple seasons there before his injuries. Uh, and that mm-hmm. sounds exactly like Taylor Martinez, the same deal. He was incredible before that injury. Uh, I think it was his freshman or sophomore year. But anyway, I, I love the running quarterbacks of it. And um, but yeah, with him, it was uh, yeah, it was the turnovers at the worst moments. I mean, it was just like they were snake bitten. Uh, and it's not to say that he wasn't a competitor. I really I thought he fought hard. He fought through a lot of injuries. I mean, it came out that he had a broken jaw and like um, some other leg injury. I don't want to misquote, but there was there was multiple injuries he played through. Uh, he continued to get up off the turf and keep fighting for the team despite some boos and you know and some losing records. And so yeah, I don't want to you know it, he was he was a great competitor. It's just that the turnover uh, margin and turnover problem. It's just that that flips game results. It really does. So I think shifting from that, you know, the high upside but high turnovers of Adrian Martinez to Casey Thompson, I think you bring in an experienced guy, uh, maybe a little bit more zip on the ball uh, passing wise, but maybe a foot, you know, a couple steps slower on the ground. He's not going to be a uh, dynamic, you know, uh, you know, breakthrough runner like Adrian was mobile enough, but not a runner. Um, and yeah, so I think with that, uh, when you bring in Mark Whipple, you're, that's kind of signaling you're going to air it out a little more. Hopefully they start to air it out more vertically and intermediate passing. You watch Nebraska, it's just all little shots to the sideline. Um, and that starts to become repetitive and, and defenses hone in on that. So I think if they can start to attack the intermediate, you know, intermediate level of the field and vertical shots, I think that you'll get an improvement with Thompson compared to Martinez in that specific element. So I think uh, to say an improvement, no, I, I don't know about improvement, just a different, uh, a different skill set to the table. And with the new offensive coordinator, maybe that's what will click. Before we move on to the next topic, I want to take a second and thank my sponsor, FSC Edge. FSC Edge integrates AI technologies, case management tools, and augmented operators to optimally process patent documents quickly and accurately. FSC Edge supports some of the world's largest patent offices, including the European Patent Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Hey, that seems like a pretty big deal. The team over at FSC Edge is always looking for new members to come on board. You won't be on the phone all day. You won't be customer-facing, which means no stuffy suits and ties. That's nice. You will be doing impactful work on a national scale and learning about patents. Folks who've worked with FSC Edge have all come away saying the same kinds of things. Affable, inviting, accepting, welcoming, easy to work with. Check out available jobs today by going to jobs at fsc.com. We touched on... We touched on Whipple, talked about Whipple quite a bit for, for, for some of the other new assistant coaches. And this is maybe more just a philosophical question for you. I, I guess, what kind of impact do you think new position coaches, new assistant coaches can have on a team in a one-year time frame? Because like this is, you know, there's the potential that this is a one-year thing with these new assistants. What I mean, you talk to coaches, you've obviously covered college football for a very long time. What kind of impact do you think assistant coaches can have on a team in like this kind of situation, this kind of scenario? Well, I think they're all important. Uh, it's, it's different elements of, uh, of a program. I mean, yeah, they're, the individual position coaches are with these guys more than the coordinators, and the coordinators are with them individually more than the head coach. So uh, it starts at ground level. I mean, they're right there doing every drill with them and, um, and installing their little piece of the offense, their position of the offense. But I think the more visible thing that you see from the assistant coaches is their recruiting because uh, it becomes very visible who is the lead recruiter on top recruits and top commits, who's pulling them in. 
Uh, you already see that from Mickey Joseph, uh, the wide receivers coach. I think he's also a pass game coordinator for, for Nebraska. Um, but, yeah, his impact has been immediate, not just uh, on the field doing drills and practice time, but he brought in uh, the LSU receiver, Trey Palmer. I think that uh, he brought him up there with him from LSU. So you're talking about a guy in Palmer, a former top 100 or four-star guy. He might start right away. So uh, when you talk about assistant coach's impact, yeah, you're talking he just brought a, a starter with him. Um, other guy, Sean Becton, he's not new. Uh, he's been there a couple of years, but I think he's, a, he's an ace tight end coach. He's, he's solid, and that's probably why Frost retained him, one of the only offensive guys to stay on. Um, you know, a couple of former Huskers, I like to see the names come up. Barrett Root is in there, an inside backer. But, um, no, I think they're important. I think that the recruiting element is key um, because those are the guys that are out on the road really grinding in the recruiting game. Um, practice time, yeah, important. But schematically, it's the coordinators and then the program directions, the head coach. That's how I, I'd sum it up. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I, I'm glad that you brought up Barrett Rood because linebacker is where I was going next. They have recruited. They got a blue chip guy in Nick Henrich that they recruited. They've got a couple of developmental stories with, with Luke Reimer and with Garrett Nelson. Um, you have Nebraska's linebacker group ranked in the top 15 nationally for linebacker rooms is this a situation where you really like the depth of this room or do you look at you look at this linebacker group and see maybe one or two guys that just jumps off the page and like i love this guy uh both i know that's a boring answer but both uh garrett nelson when i watched the spring game and watched him a little bit last year i mean he looks like one of the old black shirts he looks like a guy he mm -hmm. has that same energy um, you know, walk on. And I, I'm not sure if he's from Nebraska. I have a hunch that he is an in-state guy, just given that he's a, a walk on playing with that much energy and emotion. So that's refreshing to see. I have him listed as a fourth team, fourth team, all American. I do four levels of uh, all America in the preseason, but uh, I have him on there. And then uh, when you talk about all big 10, 
Um, I think it's uh, – I have Reimer in there as well. i got to double-check that. But I was really high on him too, uh, tackle machine there at inside backer. So I think the combination of star power, I think that you're going to see a breakout with Nelson. But then just to have, to have returning tackle machines there at inside backer, um, really a lot to like. And I think it's a position of strength for the defense. Uh, Nick Hendrick also, I want to mention him too. Yeah, they combined for over 200 tackles, the, the, the two uh, – the battery inside there at inside backer and the 3-4 defense. So productive guys. Um, and then it's it's confusing nowadays when you do position groups because do you call the edge players as backers or um, you know outside backers or defensive ends? But uh, while we're kind of on the topic, bringing in Oshaw Mathis from TCU, that's one of the biggest additions in the Big Ten, if not nationally. I mean, it's got to be a top 10 transfer. Uh, he's a multiple-year All-Big 12 guy at TCU on some of their better defenses a couple years ago. So um, that's huge. I mean, that's a game-changer right there at, at, at the edge spot. So, um, and then another guy, Caleb Tanner, he's flashed over the years and talking to some Husker beat writers, they're really high on him. They think that there's a high potential there. So, um, yeah, I'll really a lot to like on the backers level and plus edge. If you want to include that. Caleb Tanner is that guy, like every, every fan base and this spans all sports. Like I do this with the Oklahoma city thunder in, in basketball, like every fan base has a, has a, a player that they're like, Man, this guy, I see it. I see the potential. He's just got to reach it. Caleb Tanner is that guy. <laughs> Caleb yeah. Tanner is that guy. And he's, I mean, he, you know, he, like you said, he flashed last year. Like he's getting there. Um, but like since he arrived, we've been like, Caleb Tanner can be a dude. And, you know, he's just not quite there yet, but maybe he'll get there. So, I, you know, I don't, maybe this is, maybe this is the year. The emergence of Garrett Nelson, um, is a big deal and helps in that regard. Caleb Tanner can just kind of do his thing. I'm glad that you brought up O'Shawn Mathis. You've got him first team along the defensive line and in, in your your Big Ten um, all conference defense. Like this is, you know, I, I know that they have some stuff that they've got to replace. They obviously lost Tony Tuioti along the defensive line, and they had a, a pretty good defensive front last year. But at, at least in the front seven, this looks like it could be a pretty formidable defense, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's been strong the last couple seasons. Um, and this is kind of what started to, to uh, you know, lead me on to putting Nebraska second is you look at who the teams lose. And of course, they took some hits up front to graduation, like Ben Stilley, Damian Daniels, the big nose tackle. So your first instinct is, OK, they're going to be younger or thin there. But then they they amplify the roster by bringing in two power five guys. They bring in a Texas Tech starter, Devin Drew, um, and then a, you know, a former five star in Stefan Wynn. Um, from Alabama. And I know he didn't start at Alabama. I know he's not one of their All-American guys per se, but um, you got to look who he was playing behind. And I think he comes in and makes an immediate impact here. Uh, so what, what looked like a position of transition, I mean, it's still a transition, but what looked like it would be young or, or question mark, you bring in some proven pieces there. Um, you know, guys like Ty Robinson and, uh, and the, the polar bear, they call him. <laughs> I've seen that nickname come up. These are guys that are ready to break through, I, I, you think. I mean, it's been a couple of years in the program. And, um, and yeah, the, I feel like the front seven hasn't been an issue uh, the last couple of years. It's been the offensive line, um, turnovers we already touched on big time. Um, but, yeah, and, uh, and then, yeah, speaking to the All-Big Ten team a little bit too, it's, it's been a while since I put a Nebraska defender first team All-Big Ten. I, I don't remember if I had Cam Taylor-Britt preseason, at least definitely second team. I don't know about first. But, um, yeah, to have two guys on that list, uh, you know, that, that's got to be kind of the strength early on as the offense goes through that scheme mesh or transition 
uh, you want to rely on that defense at least early on in the season. Yeah, absolutely. Let's switch gears. I have two more questions for you, one on a non-Nebraska Big Ten West team and then one on a Big Ten East team. So we're going to stay in the West for the first one. You have Iowa and Minnesota in a tie for third. We touched on Purdue. You said that, you know, the two through five spots in the Big Ten West, you, you, you could, you know, make the argument for a bunch of different orders of those teams. Let's say Purdue finishes how you project they finish. Is this Jeff Brom's last season in West Lafayette before he bolts for Louisville? Yeah, I like the question because um, it's kind of uh, very – it's very multifaceted. I mean, first um, – the Louisville spot, you got to almost dig into what's going on at Louisville. I'm, I'm higher than most on Louisville this year. I love their offense. Uh, a dark horse Heisman candidate, even with Malik Cunningham at quarterback. Guy had 20 rushing touchdowns last year as a quarterback. Um, so it's kind of first off, do you think that Louisville tanks? If Louisville tanks, they fire Satterfield opening up Jeff Brom's alma mater, Louisville. So that's one piece of it. I don't even think that happens. So I don't even think we got off the ground running here. Um, I think Louisville has a successful, you know, eight or nine win team. So, but let's just for the theoretical of it. Yeah. We'll say uh, Louisville struggles this year. The offense collapses and they fire Satterfield. Uh, Yeah. It's possible that Brom leaves. I mean, um, you you can never rule out a guy's alma mater and I don't want to speak for the guy. Uh, We talked on the phone and he, he, I could tell he's passionate for Purdue. He loves his offensive scheme. Um, You know, he, you, you watch Purdue, they air it out all over the field. I asked him about that and he says, well, yeah, that's kind of an advantage to us on the recruiting trail. Because, you know, we're not going to bring in uh, five-star blue-chip linemen all up front, but um, this kind of uh, neutralizes the talent gap, and it's, it brings in talented receivers. They have no problem bringing in four-star receivers. Um, it's a conveyor belt of them over there because they want to be in this offense and catch 100 balls and, you know, put up all the yardage. They had multiple All-Americans now, David Bell, Rondell Moore, um, and the quarterbacks love the system, obviously. And, that's what's they've been most successful as a quarterback and pass heavy team under Joe Tiller way back. Uh, even before that, they were called the cradle of quarterbacks. So uh, it was cool to hear the history behind Purdue, but so yeah, it's, it's such a tough question. I'll never be able to answer for a guy. You never want to rule out an alma mater though. That's, that's the one thing is guys, they'll always consider going back to their alma mater. So uh, we'll see about that one. I mean, we've got a guy here in, in Lincoln that is at his alma mater and, and, trying like hell to make it work and doing, you know, pretty much whatever, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever he's told to do to try to make it work by, by Trev Alberts. Okay. Last question for you. Penn state in the East is a team that, um, I'm very curious to see what happens this year with the Nittany lions. You have them finishing third behind Ohio state and Michigan, which is probably, you know, I would, I would wager that a, bunch of people in college football media would have that ordered the same way. Um, I'm looking at James Franklin and I've got, I've got a couple of notes right here. He, yes, he just signed the, the 10 year extension, but the buyout goes to $6 million on January 1, 2023 at Penn state. He's had four seasons where he's had above a 600 winning percentage and he's had four seasons where he's had under a 600 winning percentage. Two of those have come in the last two years. They went four and five in 2020. They went seven and six in 2021. My question for you, do you think that Penn State is closer to Michigan at two or closer to Michigan State at four? And is James Franklin a guy that you think if they are closer to Michigan State at four, 
Penn State could start having a little buyer's remorse over. Yeah, well, this is this is great topics. Um, I'm based out of Pennsylvania, born and raised, uh, but I'm by no means a Penn Stater. You know, I, I didn't attend there, but but what I'm getting at is I hear it in the community. I hear I know, friends with a lot of Penn State alumni, so I kind of get the emotional side of it from them, and uh, it's frustrating for them. Um, they've been so close, you know, to compare it to Nebraska with the one-score losses. Penn State had five of them themselves last year, so they were close mm-hmm. in a lot of games, um, but, again, faltered well, they, all the way. They started 5-0. and oh. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to oh, I don't yeah. mean interrupt no, you, but they started 5-0 sure. and oh as well. And that, started, that game against yeah. Iowa was insane. Started 5-0 and oh and had a big lead on Iowa, and their quarterback, Sean Clifford, gets knocked out. Uh, backup falters and, and they choke that game away. And but you know some of the blame gets placed back at Franklin. That hey, you're in year eight here, and your backup quarterback is is not even able to run an offense. So so, so he got some heat on him a little bit. But um, what I'm getting at, the big picture, yeah, they want to win the conference. But um, what's keeping the the emotion and uh, and the energy around Penn State football is the recruiting trail for for James Franklin and. Uh, you know, for years they were telling him you have to start locking down the Pennsylvania talent. You got to, I think he calls it own the state or win the state or something. He's got a hashtag for it. But, uh, and they did that this time around. They finished sixth in the country, uh, national, and uh, in recruiting by locking down a lot of PA guys. Um, you know, their best recruiting class in decades here. So um, I think that is enough to buy him a year or two more. You know, because you always hear about, oh, well, give those, give that number six recruiting class a couple seasons to, to grow and, and produce. So, um, with that said, I don't think the hot seat's on him or anything like that. It's just growing frustration. People are also frustrated with Sean Clifford. I know the quarterback takes a lot of extra heat, maybe, um, you know, maybe mistakenly. Uh, I, you probably, guys probably had that out there too. But uh, when you have a multi-year quarterback, I think it's his fifth season, Sean Clifford, he gets a lot of the blame for the offensive struggles, uh, even though it might be schematic or the offensive line has been a problem for them too. So I see some similarities with Nebraska in the, in the levels of frustration building. But, um, but yeah, to answer your last question was, uh, were they closer to Michigan or Michigan State? I had it as a clear winner in Ohio State. I had it as a clear number two with Michigan. I have Michigan in the top 10 nationally. I think they're a solid team again. Um, and then a big okay. drop off. I have a pretty sizable gap all the way down to 19th nationally for Penn State and, uh, and Michigan State close thereafter at 23. So I made it more of a Penn State-Michigan State debate at three and four. Uh, ultimately sided with Penn State, um, you know, I love their defense every year. I know they lose their coordinator, Brent Pry, but they bring in a former head coach, Manny Diaz, defensive-minded head coach, who's going to bring that same level of intensity, that same attacking, blitz-heavy nature. So I, I think the defense is fine. Uh, they added some key five-star guys to the skill positions, which was much needed in the backfield. Um, so a pair of five-star backs, um, you know, good receivers to the transfer portal. So overall, and then like I said at the top, is that they were so close last year. My game grader formula shows it. They should have won way more than seven games, and um, that tends to even out year to year. You're going to see them jump in the win column. So I put Penn State third. I don't want folks listening to this to think that I'm like advocating for James Franklin to be put on the hot seat or anything. Um, he's, you know, I think it's just a really interesting situation because they're over in a division that has a, a Death Star team in it, and you know, this it's not like, you know, it's it's not like the Big Ten West where you could just have a great year and you win your division. Like you could have a great year and you could still finish third in that division. It's insane. Um, And the other thing too, you brought up Manny Diaz, just one quick, like what happened to him at Miami? I feel like Penn state is going to get a very, very like keyed in Manny Diaz. Like 
Burroughs Award kind of situation, maybe brewing there with Manny Diaz. Like, I wonder kind of how locked yeah. in he's going to be for this season. Uh, yeah, uh, you I see this scenario fun. play out occasionally where you have a head coach that's fired, but really at the root of it, he's a, he's a guru on one side of the ball. You know what I mean? He's not a CEO guy that's a staff builder. He's really just a, an X's and O's genius. So when he's put back into that, that one tier down as a coordinator – and, you know, there's no program level heat on him. There's no booster level and admin on him. It's kind of just, hey, go out and go out and coach uh, defense for us. And, that, yeah, you can see guys thrive in that new environment. So um, I think they're going to be fine on defense in that transition, despite losing Pry, one of the best in the game. So, um, yeah, I agree with you there. Look out for that for him as, a, as one of the top defensive coordinators all of a sudden. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, Brett, uh, you've got other stuff that you've got to do, so I'll let you get out of here. Thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was great to have you on. Yeah, Derek, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for again buying the book and for for spreading the word about my product and my and my my book there. And I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, it's been great interacting with so many Nebraska fans and and radio and media, um, you know, all over Twitter on the radio on podcasts. So uh, you know, kudos to you guys. When the national media goes after Nebraska, you'll see on Twitter, I'm one of the few that defends you guys because that fan base, your fan base, uh, is one of the only ones that can match my passion for the game. You know, you go out other places, you go out to USC or UCLA for games, and then nobody cares out there. But nope. you tune into Nebraska radio in March, and they're talking about their favorite recruits and, uh, you know, who's the, how's the offensive line looking. And so I, lo- I love the passion. And uh, that's all. I always have a, a fond respect for Nebraska. Yeah, it's, it's something special. Um, well, I, I said in the beginning, if you do not, and I'm, I'm talking to listeners now, if you do not have the pick six previews, preview mag for the upcoming season, you need to get it. You need to go pick six previews on Twitter. Go follow him on Twitter. Go to the website. Get the preview mag in any way you can. Physical copy or digital copy. Go get it. Uh, for people that like find this on YouTube, I will have it linked. We'll have it linked. So make sure you get that done. So I want to give a, once again, a shout out to Brett for coming on the podcast. Shout out to you guys for listening every week. Shout out to Cam for producing this episode every week. We'll be back next week. Thanks guys. A Huda Media Production.